Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltoona.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Well, hey, everybody, welcome again to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek, and I'm the co-senior pastor here. I'm super glad that you've chosen to join us today. And if this is your first time, I'm so glad you've chosen to take a look at Vineyard Altoona. I certainly hope uh, it's beneficial for you, and I'd love to meet you sometime. We're going to finish our series today that we've been in since the beginning of the year that we've called CORE. And before we do that, I'd just like to pray. Would that be all right? Let's pray, and then and then we'll dig in. So, Lord, we do welcome you into this time and into this space, and Lord, we're grateful for our identity that is rooted in you and your story and who it is that you say we are. God, I pray that as I speak today, Lord, that you would empower me to speak your word clearly. And Lord, I pray that many would come to know you deeper because of this time. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this series called CORE, which was intended to remind us of the story that we're a part of. And we've said over and over through this series that story is so powerful. It's through story that we make sense of our lives, the things that uh, things have value based on uh, the story that we believe that we're living, and it really gives meaning and purpose to our lives. So whatever story you think you're living, it gives meaning and purpose to the life that you're living. Things are, have higher or lower value based on the story you're living. And for followers of Jesus, we understand that we've been adopted into a story that God is writing. And that we can find all through uh, scripture about how he is redeeming and restoring all creation to himself. And we understand that we've been invited into this story. And for people who are part of Vineyard Altoona, we understand that our small subset part of this story is to equip people to release the kingdom of God. Basically what we're saying is we want to equip people to fulfill their God-designed purpose to be people who demonstrate in the world what God is like, what the kingdom of God is like. So we talked uh, for a few weeks about our values as a church, that we join what God is doing, that we highly value the outsider, uh, and and that we pursue wholeness with authenticity. And and like I said, these are ways of uh, conducting ourselves in the world. These uh, dictate to us our behavior. They, they, They guide the ways that we uh, engage life in the world. So last week and today, as we are wrapping up this series, I'm turning to look at the question, what does all that mean for how we do life now? Now that we've been reminded who we are as a people, how does that guide and lead the way in, in which we live? And so last week, I talked about how we want to be people who live out of a constant awareness of God's grace, and that we live in a posture of surrender, that that's how it is uh, to live lives as kingdom people. It's how you get into the kingdom through grace and surrender. It's how you continue in the kingdom, grace and surrender. That never changes. John Wimber used to say, the way in is the way on. 
that it never changes. It's grace and surrender all the time. This week, what I want to talk about is being a people who are called by God. What does it mean to be people who are called by God? And perhaps more deeply today, I want to talk about what kind of people God calls. Before we look at scripture, I want to explain what I mean by calling. You know, in culture, don't we uh, sort of use the word calling a little bit, you know, all over the place? And so what I want to narrow down is what it means to be called by God. And what I mean is that when I say I have been called by God, what I mean is that God has specially selected me for a role in the kingdom and he has issued an invitation to me to live out and to fulfill that God-given role. That's what it is to be called by God. In the Christian life, there's many layers to calling. You know, uh, the most foundational layer is the call that we just talked about, to surrender, to surrender your life to, and follow Jesus. That's the most foundational. It's the way that you begin. It's the way you continue. There's also a call uh, to make disciples. And both of these things are, are universal, that every follower of Jesus is called to surrender and to make disciples. There's all these. But then beyond this, God often issues many different calls, calls uh, uh, that he has for, for things that he has in mind for people to do. You know, and I think uh, not everyone is called to do the same thing. You know, most of the time when Christians think about being called, they think, well, being called to be a pastor or being called to plant a church or to be a missionary. And those are, are, are some things. Certainly those are some things that God calls people to. But that's a very limited scope on what it is that God calls people to, to do. If you have never thought about a wide array of things that God can call you into, it's likely because you've never really come to a full understanding of what life in the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. That God calls people to do all kinds, in much the same way that you can, if you, if you would think about life in the kingdom known as America, you can be a police officer, you can be an accountant, you can be a, a business owner. There's lots of different roles in the kingdom that is, an, is America. In the same way, there are lots of different roles that God can call one to in the kingdom of God. If you'd like a more comprehensive uh, understanding of the kingdom and the life in the kingdom, I'm not going to go into that today, but I would love to recommend some books to you. Uh, you can reach out to me. I, I've got shelves full, and I'll be glad to give you some of them to read. Maybe I won't give them to you. I don't know. We'll see. Reach out to me. Uh, but maybe you're someone who already knows what God has called you to do, what the calling of God is on your life. For example, I know for certain that God called me to plant a vineyard church in Altoona. And not only that, some of you know that God spoke fairly clearly to me when we were in Columbus that I wasn't coming to plant a church. I was coming to plant a network of churches. I know these things for certain. But what I find so frequently in Christian life is that people either don't know what they're called to, or they don't even know that they could be called, that they, they're not aware that God may call them into kingdom service. You know, they deem themselves unworthy 
of anything in the kingdom. Some people believe, well, I don't have any desire to work in a church. I certainly can't speak in front of people. So God must not call me. I'm going to continue to do my job at such and such place. And so, so often people think, well, God can't call me because that's not really what I'm good at. But what I want to look at today is the kind of people God calls. That's what I want to talk about today. We're going to look at Judges chapter 6. If you have a Bible, turn uh, to Judges chapter 6. If you don't, let me know. I'll get you one, but you can find it on your phone. I'm sure most of you are doing that. Um, While you're doing that, let me give you a little bit of context about what's happening in Judges chapter 6. In Judges, the whole book of Judges, God's people walk through this cycle And it happens over and over and over. And if you read the book of Judges and take note, you'll see this cycle. Some form of these uh, six things happen in the same cycle. You know, the the nation of Israel, they're faithfully serving God. And then they fall into sin and idolatry and God allows judgment to come. Often uh, by the nation being enslaved by some people group. Uh, But then... Israel, because they don't like being enslaved, they call out to God for rescue. God raises up a judge, and then uh, Israel is delivered by the judge. And you see this cycle over and over. Incidentally, if you've never thought about it, this cycle mirrors very closely to what most people's lives look like in following Jesus. And certainly it mirrors very closely to church history. It seems like this is a kind of thing that people do, that they follow God and then they fall into sin and idolatry. And so God allows them, he just lets them into the the enslavement that they've chosen for themselves. When they get sick of it, they cry out for God to rescue them. God sends people to save them. And then they they get rescued. This is a common theme about how people function in the world. So, Uh, Judges chapter 6, Israel is enslaved. That's where they are. They're enslaved to the Midianites, and they call out to God. And we'll pick it up from right there, Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, and we're going to read down to verse 16. So here's what it says. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon, aren't those fun names? Where, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Let's stop there. In response to Israel crying out for help, God decides to call Gideon to save the nation from the Midianites. All these ites. If you were going to choose someone to save the nation of Israel, you would probably choose the the bravest, 
the smartest, maybe the most cunning, uh, the most strategic, maybe the most ruthless, probably somebody who's fairly braggadocious, right? Like they're very self-confident and certainly the most brutal and powerful person you could find, right? You would choose somebody that you had great confidence that they could do the task that you were choosing them, uh, them to do. God finds Gideon and tells him to save Israel. Now Gideon responds in astonishment. He says, who am I? Like, don't you know? Like, I'm nobody. Who am I to save Israel? What makes me special? My family is, isn't notable among all the tribes, and I'm not notable in my family. I'm the least. Why, God, would you choose me? And here's the first marker of who God calls. God calls the humble. God calls the humble. All through scriptures, one, uh, one of the constant markers of the kind of person God calls into kingdom service is people who are humble. Those uh, who know they have no deserving, they're not owed anything. All through the Bible, you can find some version of this verse, and it's repeated over and over and over. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You can find it cover to cover in scripture in various places. And in places where God is going to call someone who's proud, he first humbles them. And I'm thinking of right now in the New Testament, Saul. If you think about Saul and the kind of person, he was prideful, arrogant, he was very self-confident, and he pursued and, and, and arrested Christians, and then God humbled him. God knew what he wanted to do with him, but first came the humbling. In fact, his new name, Paul, means small or little. God made the big prideful Saul into the humbled Paul. And then he called him. The reason Paul's uh, conversion story is so significant is because a tremendous humbling had to happen. And if you are someone who is mired by pride, before God will use you in a powerful way, he will humble you in a significant way. You'll see it over and over and over. It's not a matter of if it will happen, it's a matter of when it will happen. Every Christian leader I know who has done significant things in the world on behalf of the kingdom has the same perspective as Gideon. Who am I? Who am I that God would choose me for this? What makes me special? In fact, most Christian leaders that I know, it's a struggle to acknowledge that God would do anything significant through them because they're afraid that people might think they themselves are significant. There's this off-putting of, of any amount of significance because what they understand is that it's only God who does something significant. Humility. God deals with the humble Gideon, not as Gideon sees himself. Interestingly enough, God deals with Gideon as he created him to be. If you look at verse 12, the greeting that, that is given to Gideon is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You might say, well, okay, well, what, what does that mean? What I want you to see here is that 
That's not how Gideon thinks of himself. God calls him as God intends him to be, not as he is or how he sees himself. Friend, if you're going to do something significant, it's not because you are someone special, but because God has designed you for a special purpose. And he will resource you and deal with you based on that. Not based on who you think you are, not based on how you see yourself. He will deal with you based on who he intends you to be. And I do want to just say, as a side note, if you believe, uh, what gets in the way of calling so often is our own brokenness. If you believe God has called you or may be calling you, one of the best investments you can make is to your own wholeness and healing. Because here's the thing, you wouldn't skip Sabbath, or you wouldn't skip reading scripture, or you wouldn't skip worship, because you know that they are essential to you showing up and being the kind of person God intends you to be. So why would you put off your own healing and wholeness for the same reason? So often what gets in the way of our own effectiveness is the way we see and understand ourselves. So I would just say, if you believe God is calling you or that God may call you, one of the best investments you can make is to your own wholeness and healing. So God calls the humble, but God also calls the powerless. Gideon explains why he might not be the right guy for the job. And yet in verse 14, God says this. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, Gideon is small and weak. And to be quite frank, he's kind of a chicken. He's, he's a lot scared. Uh, you see, uh, God finds him threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, we probably read right past that. But you thresh wheat on the threshing floor and you press wine in the wine press. Why is it significant that Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press? Well, as we read earlier in chapter 6, the Midianites have been basically taking their food, ruining their crops, taking their food. And so Gideon is terrified that if he threshes wheat to eat in a place where he'll be seen, it'll go away. The threshing floor is a place that everybody would see. So Gideon, hiding from the Midianites, goes into what would be like a pit or a bowl into the wine press where he might not get seen so that he can thresh wheat for food. He's terrified of these Midianites. And then God comes and says, go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have and save Israel from these people that you're so afraid of that you're hiding in the wine press. God calls Gideon to go in the strength that he has to save Israel. Gideon is powerless. That's what I want you to see. Gideon is not somebody who's, who you would choose to lead a revolt. And yet God says, go as you are in the strength that you have, and I will be with you. In essence, God will make up the power that Gideon doesn't have. I think often we, we think that if God is going to call us, we need to be powerful people with all the, answer, all the answers, all the knowledge, 
and all the preparation. Now, don't hear me wrong. I don't think knowledge is a bad thing. I don't think uh, that preparation is a bad thing. In fact, the Bible commends both of those things and, and calls people who are God's people to pursue both of those things. I don't think those things are bad. But what I'm saying is that God calls people into things that they're generally not prepared for and definitely not powerful enough to do. He does this because it's not your job to do it. God didn't call you and say, well, I've given you all the things already, so, you know, perform. God calls you and he's going to provide whatever you need to, to do what he's called you to do. The call always is just to obedience. That's always the call. It's not about your glory. It's about his. And if you could just do it on your own without his help, who gets the glory? It certainly isn't God. In fact, if what God is calling you to doesn't make you starkly aware of your powerlessness and inability to do it, if it doesn't scare you some, I'd suggest it may not be God's calling on your life. If God always calls you to things that you can just do, likely you're serving your own vanity. God is definitely going to call you to things that you're not capable of doing. That's just the way he works. The calling of God brings us to the end of ourselves so that God can be put on display. Every time I ever lay hands on someone to pray for healing, I'm starkly aware of the fact that I have no ability to bring healing in this place if God doesn't do it. Every time I stand up to preach and, and my hope is that people come to know Jesus, I'm starkly aware that I am powerless to change the human heart. What God calls us to is not things that we already can do. They're things that require him to act. I mean, you might hear this and say, well, that doesn't sound good. You know, maybe I, I just don't want it. Maybe I don't want to be called by God. At the end of verse 14, though, there's this thing that God says. He says, am I not sending you? You know, there's this conviction that the call of God puts in your life that when he calls you to do something, to not do it implies that you would have to also abandon God. There's this conviction that if I am not obedient, what am I doing trying to pretend like I'm following Jesus? There's a conviction to it. I remember when we were selling our house to move here. We were, you know, going to plant this church. The lady across the street saw that we were selling our house. And so we started to have a conversation. And I told her about how we were moving to plant a church. And I was excited, but I was scared. And she said, well, well, why would you do it then? Maybe if you're scared, you just shouldn't do it. And I remember saying to her, if I say no to God here, I can't pretend like I'm someone who can follow Jesus. To not do this would be far worse than to press into my fear and do what God had called. Even though I was scared and I knew I couldn't do it, there was no choice if I was going to continue to follow Jesus. C.S. Lewis uh, is one of my favorite Christian authors, and uh, he said this. He said, to follow the vocation does not mean happiness. And the vocation, he means God's called uh, vocation on your life. 
To follow the vocation does not mean happiness, but once it has been heard, there is no happiness for those who do not follow. He's saying the same thing, right? It's that once God speaks and has called you to something, if you choose to not, it's an altogether different road. And you'll be restless until you do what God has called. So God calls the humble. God calls the powerless. And the last thing I want to say is, God calls those who see a need. Look at uh, verse 13 again. It says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. God, where are you? Gideon says, in essence, if you say the Lord is with us, then why doesn't it look like it? How how come you show up here and say, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and I look at the world and it doesn't look to me like the Lord is with us. We're squashed under the Midianites. What's wrong here? And it's from this and an awareness of how the world that Gideon is living in does not reflect the kind of world that God would desire that Gideon begins to stir and there's, a, there's a, an unsettling inside of him. And probably other people were thinking it, but Gideon was angry enough to say it. Often a source of calling on your life comes from the places where you see the world as it does not reflect the kingdom. And the stirring inside, you see things in the world that other people don't see. You're aware of ways that the world doesn't reflect the kingdom that other people are just not aware of. And it's through the angst and the things that come that God calls you. You know, maybe you're someone who sees the racial disparities in the world. Maybe you're someone who sees the injustice of hundreds of thousands of babies aborted every year. Maybe you're someone who sees the the, the epidemic in our nation of fatherlessness. Maybe you're someone who's aware of how uh, poverty has so impacted our our city. Or maybe you're someone who sees the the way that, uh, that drug addiction has ruined the lives of so many in our city. Or maybe you're someone who sees What's wrong in the brokenness in the immigration system in our nation? And these things stir inside of you, and finally you find yourself saying, somebody has to do something about this. Somebody has to step up and make a change. And for so often, the reason that you feel this way is because God is drawing your awareness and your attention because he intends to use you. So often we push this off on the church and say, well, what is the church doing about this? And the reason that you feel that way is because God is not calling someone else, some vague group of people called the church. God is calling you to do something about this. You're aware of it. There's a stirring. There's an anger. There's a burning inside of you about this because God is inviting you to do this. Pay attention to the way that injustice stirs the insides of you because often it's in those places that God issues invitation and calling. 
So often we try to pass it off to somebody else. Oh, there's probably somebody else more better equipped. There's probably somebody else who understands this better. But here's the thing. God's not calling somebody else. He's calling you. God calls all kinds of people. And as we wrap up this series, I really want us to get a hold of this, that I believe in our church, God is calling so many of you to things in our, our city and in our world. And that if you would open your heart and open your eyes and open your ears to what God wants to do in our city, I believe God is calling so many to make a kingdom impact that he's calling those who are humble. He's calling those who are powerless. He's calling those who see a need. And my hunch is it's so many people who are watching this. God has a calling for your life to bring the kingdom to bear. And we see it here in this church as our responsibility to help you fulfill that God-given purpose. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.